Good morning. Good morning. Psalm 122, uh, verse 1 says, uh, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Uh, of course, that had a different uh, context, but the sentiment should be the same. When you woke up this morning, I hope that you were looking forward to coming here and worshiping God um, in spirit and in truth. And as we have said before, that is our attempt to do so here, and we hope to do everything according to the pattern that we find uh, in the New Testament. If you're visiting with us, uh, we're very happy that you have chosen to do so. Uh, if this is your first time or you haven't filled out a card before, if you would, there are cards in the seat in the uh, pew, back of the pew in front of you. Uh, if you would, fill out that uh, card so we'd have a record of your attendance and, and uh, stay around so uh, we can get to meet you and welcome you uh, officially. There are some upcoming uh, opportunities. David uh, mentioned uh, these, I think, on uh, Wednesday night or last Sunday night. I can't remember. Uh, a series of opportunities for us to grow uh, in service to the Lord. And we don't have all the meat on, on those bones, but we do have some, some general uh, areas that we will, we will be focusing on. Um, and so we will unveil that um, as we get more information on that. But that, the... the we're focusing Sunday nights um, after our worship service uh, for a brief time period on that during the month of May. This morning, uh, John Kelly will be leading our songs. Chad Judge will have our reading and prayer. Uh, Gary Leap will have the uh, Lord's Table. And uh, Andy Pittman will deliver our closing prayer. Let's go to God in prayer at this time. Our Father in heaven, we thank you as we gather this morning to worship you for all that you have given to us and provided for us. We thank you that you are our God, that you have given your son to us so that we might have a way to reconcile ourselves to you, having separated ourselves from you due to our sins. We're thankful he was willing to come and make that sacrifice. We're thankful so much, Father, but we're thankful for the opportunity to come and worship you. And we pray, Father, that as we enter into our worship that we will focus on the things at hand, that we will sing songs from the heart, that we will mean the words that we sing, that we will uh, enter, enter into the uh, Lord's Supper uh, in a bit uh, with our thoughts entirely upon your love for us and your son's love for us and all that went into that sacrifice and its impact for us and for our salvation. Be with Chris later as he speaks. May he say something that will inspire us, inform us, move us in some way to serve you better than we have in the past. We ask all this in your son's dear name. Amen. Let us all please stand and we'll sing hymn number 388. Let every heart rejoice and sing. 388. <clears throat> Let every heart rejoice and sing. Let the Lord. 
Next hymn this morning, number 646, The Love of God, 646. And after this hymn, Brother Chad Judge will have our scripture and prayer. Yeah. 
Scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verses 28 through 31, and I'll be reading from the NIV. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come to you now thanking you for this day that you've given us, this opportunity that we've had to, to come together to, to worship you and to sing praises to you and, and to study your word. Father, we do thank you for all the many blessings that you have given us as individuals and as a congregation. We thank you so very much for that. Father, we, we pray now that we have so many on the prayer list that we are have our hearts and minds on that you will be with them, the ones who are dealing with health issues and cancer, uh, death of loved ones. There's just so many, Lord, that you be with them and you strengthen and comfort and be with the doctors that administer to them. Father, we do pray that what we do and say here is according to your will and is well-pleasing to you. We thank you for John and his uh, leading songs for us. We be with us as we... Uh, surround your table in a little bit that our hearts and minds will be focused on you and the love that you have for us. We thank you for Chris that has prepared a lesson for us today that we will apply it to our, to our lives that we can be better Christians. Father, we do thank you for Jesus and all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Next hymn this morning, number 645, The Old Rugged Cross. <clears throat> we'll sing the first and third verse, please. 645. So I'll 
Christians surround this table every Sunday morning to remember Jesus. Jesus, our Lord, is our Savior. He is the Son of God. And He's the only thing that we have hope in for eternal salvation. Our only hope. And, and I want you to think about that word hope. Jesus was talking to his disciples in John chapter 14, and he was talking to them about his coming again to take his own back with him. And he told them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't worry. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And if I do that, I'm going to come back, and, and I'm going to receive you as my own. And he said, and whether I go, you know, in the way you know. And Thomas questioned that. He said, he said, Lord, he said, we know not whether thou going, and how, how can we know the way? And Jesus told him in that verse that we all know, John 14, 6, he says, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the only way. We surround this table this morning because Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. As we take the Lord's Supper, there's, uh, there's four things that I would like to mention that, uh, that, we, that we believe and that we have in common. And the first one is that Jesus loved us enough to die for us. I think we all know that and we all believe that. And we believe that Jesus is alive today. Jesus is living today. And we do believe that Jesus is coming back again. That he's coming back. And that's where we have that hope. We have that hope today in Jesus and being with Jesus again. 
Now, hope is, is commonly a word used as to wish for something. You know, I hope this happens, I hope that happens. But that's not the kind of hope that I'm talking about. Now, I'm not talking about a wishful hope. I'm talking about a biblical hope, the spiritual hope that we have. And that is the confidence, the confidence that we have the ex- expectations of what God has promised us. And we get, it gets its strength from knowing that God, whatever God says, God is faithful. God is going to be faithful to whatever he has promised us. Taking the Lord's Supper is a, is a big part of our worship service the first day of each week. All around the world, there, there's people taking the Lord's Supper the first Sunday. And what they're doing, they're remembering Jesus. They're remembering his sacrifice. They're remembering the hope that we have, and that hope is only through him. And they're remembering the words of Jesus. When he told them, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Let's bow as we give thanks for the bread. Father, we do thank you so much for your son and for the sacrifice that that he made for us on the cross. And Father, as we sang that song, the old rugged cross, and and the words of that song just just, uh, tells it all, Father, we will always cherish that cross. Father, we're thankful that... uh, He laid his life down for us. We're thankful that uh, no one took it from him. And we're thankful for the hope that we have in Jesus through his sacrifice. We pray that you will bless this bread as we take it, Father, as it represents his body. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Pray with me as we give thanks for the fruit of the vine. Father, we continue to give you thanks. Thanks for your son. Thanks for his willingness to die on the cross. And Father, we are so thankful for this, uh, the, the blood that was shed for us, Father, because we know that without it there would be no remission of sin. Father, we pray that you will bless this, this cup as we take of it and remember in Jesus' blood. And, Father, we pray that you'll bless us and help us to always uh, do your will and, and Father, to to be worthy of of taking this, this supper today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This concludes the Lord's Supper. But, um...
it's a time that we have to, to give back to what God has given us, and, and he's truly blessed us. And uh, we're not able to pass our trays, but we have contribution boxes in the back. And uh, if you're visiting with us, we, we never ask you to, uh, to give. We're just thankful that you're here with us, and we uh, realize it's responsibility of the church. Bow with me, please. Father, we, we thank you for this morning. We're thankful for our spiritual blessings and for our material blessings. Father, we know that, uh, that you give us what we need, and, and we know that all good things come from you. And, and Father, we pray that, uh, that you will bless this offering, that uh, we will use it, Father, in, in a way to, to glorify your name, to strengthen the church here at Rome, and and Father, to, to do what's necessary and, and, and be able to help those who are in need or, or missionaries, whatever we may do, Father, it's, it's the work of the, of the congregation here at Rome. Thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 400, Living by Faith, number 400. So at this time, the young children uh, may go to the children's Bible hour. I care not today what the Lord might bring, His shadow or sunshine or rain. The Lord and the ruler Oh, oh, oh. 
Invitation hymn this morning, number 754, When Jesus Comes, 754, Brother Chris. Good morning. Chapter 12, we finished up the Hall of Faith, it's commonly known as um, there in Hebrews chapter 11, it is a powerful, power-packed section of Scripture where we learn about all these different characters from the Old Testament that we can look to uh, that, to find confidence that Jesus and that God, the Holy Spirit, will come through on their promises for us. They will make good on these promises. And here we have a multiplicity of examples where that is true. And he says, you look, you look to them, but ultimately you look to... Jesus. That's where our faith is. That's where the confidence is. So in Hebrews chapter 12, he's, he's going to start over this, this same kind of thought. But if you're struggling today, if you're in a season where you're just really spent and you're tired and you're, you're, you're wondering, uh, your heart's a little far away from God, if, if you're struggling, I think this lesson's for you. I think, I think it hits home to so many of us in Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to these first couple of verses. He, he's transitioning from Hebrews 11 into the next logical step of Hebrews chapter 12. But he's going to do so here in, in the first couple of verses. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He says some stuff is weighing you down. Sin, it's, it's weighing you down and it's impeding your race. It's making, your, it's making it hard for your hands to stay up. It's making it hard for your feet to keep moving. You need to lay those things down and, and run the race with endurance. He says, looking to Jesus. He's just told you to look toward all these Old Testament characters and now he, he's kind of pivoting a little bit here. And he says, you need to be looking toward Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Who? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this next little section he's going to get into here is where we're going to spend our time today. He says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Some of the audience that the Hebrew writer is, is speaking to is in a situation very much like you're in today. They're struggling. They are being persecuted. They're only out so far in their culture that it's difficult to form relationships. Their safety net is gone. Uh, their finances have no doubt taken a hit. Their faith has taken a significant hit because of their relationship to Christ. And he says, I know that's made some of you faint. I know it's made some of you weary. And so he says, I'm here to bolster you up. This is Hebrews, the whole letter, remember, is a word of encouragement. And he says, this is going to make you stand up straight. <clears throat> Verse 4, he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. They've had some things taken, taken from them. You'll find 
that some of their property has been taken away from them. Uh, some of their relationships have been taken away from them. They've no doubt had ridicule thrown at them time and time again. So they've made sacrifices, but none of them have died yet because of their faith. In the rest of verse 5, uh, or starting in verse 5, he says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, for nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You see what he's doing there, right? When you start talking about discipline, he's, he's going to talk about discipline an awful lot in this little section of Hebrews right here. This next couple of verses, he talks an awful lot about discipline. And so you think, well, how is discipline a word of encouragement? How is that supposed to, to bolster me up? Well, watch it. Watch it as he walks through it. There is a relationship of discipline. And you parents understand that well, right? Uh, you're standing at a park and someone else's child is walking across the top of the monkey bars. It's probably one of mine. And you look over and you think, that's not safe. And then what's the next thought that enters your head? Not my kid. So, so what? I'm probably going to not say anything. Uh, kids are running around going crazy, and you think, not my kid. What are you going to do? Probably not going to say anything, right? Well, there are some relationships in which uh, you, you've kind of become adoptive parents to other children. I understand all that, but just for, for our purposes today, most of the time, most parents kind of look at, say you're in Walmart or some grocery store, and there's a kid who's shaking up a soda or something, and you think, I should say something. But you don't, right? Because not your kid. Now, if your kid was shaking up the soda, what would you do? Stop that. You just pop their hands, buy the soda, and then make them drink it, right? <laughs> right? You, we discipline our own children, right? We don't discipline other people's children. As a general rule, understand again, there's some caveats there, but we discipline our own children, and that's what the Hebrew writer is saying here. He says, God is disciplining some of you. Now, it's not necessarily not necessary to understand that you have done something wrong in this discipline. Just because you're being disciplined doesn't necessarily mean that you've sinned, that you've done something wrong. He's going to get to that in just a second. So don't, don't, don't connect those two thoughts. Often when we connect, we connect discipline with, with some, doing a crime, with a sin, a disobedience, I don't necessarily think that's the case here in this place because these, these Christians are being punished, but they haven't done anything wrong necessarily. Uh, they are being punished because they are of Christ, because they've aligned themselves with Jesus. And so he's going to look at this as, as discipline. The Father's disciplining you. And there's some points there that we need to look at, and we're going to get to this in just a second. But the very first thing you need to understand, this, this word of encouragement is... If you're going through a tough season right now, if you're being disciplined right now, there's a relationship there. God wouldn't be doing that if you weren't his child. You don't want God to ignore you, right? For our own children, 
if they're the ones who are in the store causing a ruckus and singing loudly at the top of their lungs the song that's blaring on the radio or whatever, if they're being an annoyance, what do we do? We immediately say, hey, you, you can't act like that. Well, why not? Because there are some rules that, that our family has put in place to make you a better person, <laughs> to make you not an annoyance to those who are around you, to make you a contributing member to God's kingdom. There are some rules that we've put in place to make that happen for you. And over the years, we're going to discipline you and we're going to punish you on, on occasion so that you get to that point because you're my child. Now, often my kids will look at uh, the kid across the hall or the kid across the, the store and be like, why do they get to do that? Because well, they're not mine. You abide by our rules. Kelly and I have set, have set certain rules in place to bring them up, right? To train them up in the way that they should go, right? So that when they're old, they won't depart from you. You guys know this first, right? So we've set up rules for our children to make them better people, to make them contributing members to the kingdom. God is doing the exact same thing with us. You don't want Him to ignore you. So if you're going through a tough season right now in your life, if, if you're going through some discipline, it's a, it's a reminder, an encouraging reminder that God is still with me. If He wasn't with me, there wouldn't be any discipline. I wouldn't be His child. You see that the fallout there, of course, you don't inherit any of the promises if you're not his child. But you don't have to endure the discipline. But you will have to endure the punishment. Right? And so this is an encouraging verse, I think. This, 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 there's a relationship to discipline. But he's not done. Keep reading here. In verse 9, he says, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment of all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There's a couple things that we need to talk about. There's a result to discipline, right? Um, the result to discipline is you become a better person. Uh, you become a contributing member of the kingdom. The goal that our parents had when they were disciplining, uh, disciplining us was that you learn how to function in society, that you become a better person. Now, did they always do it right? No, of course not, right? But what was always their intention? Their heart was always in the right place. Sometimes they misunderstood the situation, right? You ever been there as a parent? You start disciplining your kid and then the rest of the story comes out and you think, well, I've got egg on my face now, right? I feel awful. I've disciplined him and he didn't do it or she didn't do it. We get in those situations as parents because we're human. That's what the Hebrew writer points out to us here. He says, all parents discipline their children, and they all do it for the same reason, to make their children better. Now, some parents, uh, because we're human, we're fallible, and we make mistakes, and we mess up, but our heart was always in the right place. We wanted the best for them. And so what's he say? God is exactly like that, minus the fallible part. He wants what's good for you, and his punishment will always be exactly what you need. It'll always be just. The discipline will always be, be perfect. Whereas our earthly fathers, while they intended well, did not always do well, right? We, we're familiar with that, right, dads? Uh, 
we intend well, but it doesn't always come across. It is not always good. But it all is always good with God. His discipline for us is always good because it's always leading us toward an image of Christ that's being built up inside of us. So there's a relationship of discipline. There's a result of discipline. There's also the realization of discipline. You find that here in this in verse 11. Um, where it says, the, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline trains us, doesn't it? It trains us. And it doesn't take too long for some of us, as you're in the middle of discipline, to, to realize something about discipline. It does not reconcile us to God, right? Discipline doesn't have that kind of power Discipline does not reconcile us to God. You can't go through enough suffering to be reconciled back to God, right? To be friends with God, you can't go through enough suffering to be friends with Him. Again, only Jesus has that power, and it only happens through the power of baptism. When we obey God in this matter, He he washes away our sins, and we become friends. Literally what reconciliation means. Friends with God, again, like we were in the garden, like Adam and Eve were in the garden. And so... The realization of discipline is not reconciliation. It's, it's not what you, rec- what you understand as you're being disciplined. You don't understand that you're being reconciled back to God. But you do realize that after a season of discipline, it trains you to stick with God. Doesn't it? It trains you to stick with God. Flip back over to Hebrews chapter 5. Just a couple of chapters over. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8. You need, to, you need to connect these two thoughts in your, in your head and maybe in your Bibles uh, with a pen and paper. Connect these two thoughts from Hebrews 12, 11, this little section where he talks about discipline. And Hebrews 5, 8, where he implies the cause of discipline. It's not, not always punishment. Hebrews 5, verse 8, he's talking about Jesus. You back up to verse 7, you get the context a little bit better here. He says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, right? What does God do for sons? He disciplines them. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Through what Jesus suffered, he learned obedience. Now, is God punishing Jesus? Certainly not. He didn't do anything wrong, right? No deceit was found in his mouth. No sin was laid against him. He is the sinless, perfect sacrifice of Yahweh. If he's not, then all of Hebrews is a lie and your faith is a lie and everything's lost. Right? That's the argument the Hebrew writer is going to make. Jesus is the voluntary, pure sacrifice. And so our faith is founded in the right place. We can have confidence there. So God is not punishing him because he's done something wrong. But Jesus learns something through his suffering. You can learn something through your suffering as well. So many of you are in a difficult season. We've lost several uh, of our congregation, even in the short year that it's been so far. Several of you are struggling in your marriage. Several of you are struggling with your finances. There's so many things. Parenting, right, uh, is difficult on good years. And during COVID, it can be very difficult, right? And there's so many difficulties on so many different levels. 
uh, that this, this quarantine and this, all this stuff has brought to us. And so understand a lot of you are struggling. And I, I think that this passage provides us an awful lot of hope because there's something to be learned in the midst of your struggle. In the midst of your pain, there's something that you can be learning. Uh, and it helps us not to focus so much on the pain, right? It helps us to, to move around that, uh, to, to focus on something that we can learn in the middle of it. Our sanctification, our, our journey towards holiness is not a one-time thing. You're not baptized and then you're immediately a mature spiritual giant, right? That's not how it works. You, you are in the process. I'm in the process of becoming holy, of being sanctified, right? So we learn in the midst of this process. Flip back over to the Old Testament book of Job. Let's let Job teach us something. Hold your finger in Job and Hebrews chapter 12 and flip over to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. You know the story of Job, of course. It's a well-known story, but I want you to see this first little bit here in Job chapter 1. God is looking around at, at Job, at, at the world, and he, he finds this man named Job. In verse 1, uh, the very first thing we learn about Job is he was a righteous man. And he's blameless, he's upright, he fears God, he turns away from evil. This guy, he's God's man, right? Every adjective you could use to attribute to this guy was one of righteousness. He is doing everything right. But you, you know the story, of course, in, in the rest of this chapter and into the next one. Bad things begin to happen to Job. Is it because of punishment? Is, is God punishing Job because of some evil he's done? No, right? The answer is no. Job, from what we know, we know he sinned. We know he's human. But from what we understand about Job is, he is, how does God put it? Blameless. He's upright. He fears God. He turns away from evil. This guy's doing everything right. Yet, very soon, he will be disciplined not because of something that he's done that's wrong but just because there's something to learn in the midst of his pain and Job's going to go through some significant incredible heart shattering pain it's like some of you are in the midst of right now so there's something we can learn from Job in the midst of his pain that can help us in the midst of ours so what is that thing? Well, this is the realization of discipline. As you struggle, as Job struggled, there were some things inside of Job that came to light that God needed him to deal with that would make him even more blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. There was some pride in Job that needed to be dealt with, right? God doesn't cause this, this thing to happen. He didn't cause your, your awful thing to happen. Although sometimes sin comes in the midst and, and it messes up our lives. But a lot of us, most of us, I think, are probably just dealing with cancer. It's, it's not your fault. It's there. Uh, it's not your fault your loved one passed away. It's, these things aren't your fault. They're just things that 
consequences of living in a broken world. And so there are correlations here to Job. This isn't his fault. He hasn't done anything that's wrong. But there are some things that God can teach him in the midst of his pain. This pain, this this dark time in Job's life brings to the surface pride, perhaps. I guess is the best way we can we could phrase it. Uh, the rest of Job, you know, we're introduced to Job in chapter one. We we get to see the the pain that he's going through, and the rest of one, and then on into two, we see his faithfulness is just on fantastic display. This guy's he's a hero of faith. But then the rest of Job, from three to the end of the end of his book, is all about Job proclaiming his innocence. Right? I haven't done anything that's worthy of this punishment that God's giving to me. And he's got three friends who say, "Oh, yeah, but you must have because God's punishing you." Right? And, and one of the things we can learn from Job is that's not how God functions. Um, but one of the other things we can learn is the things that we learn in the midst of our struggles. God can teach us something in the midst of these things if we're willing to listen. And so Job learns some things. His pain is teaching him how to be closer with Yahweh. It's not a comfortable thing, right? It's not something Job would have sought out for himself, surely. But it is something that's happening to him, and there's something he can learn in the midst of it. So I don't know what that is for you, but I would just hazard a guess that you're very much like Job, and that there's probably undoubtedly some things, since you're human and you deal with these things, that there are some things inside of you that aren't very much like Christ, and and he could be using this time in your life to bring those things to the surface so you have the opportunity to, to deal with them. There's a realization of discipline, and that's I think one of the realizations of discipline here is there are some things inside of us that we can and should be dealing with. That while they're not easy and they're they're not they're not fun, they are good because he's good and he can function and work through these things to make us more like Jesus. There's a realization of discipline. It's a hard lesson, but I think it's an encouraging lesson because you're not just going through this because God's punishing you. He he sent Jesus through the exact same thing, right? And Jesus didn't do anything wrong. But there's something you can be learning in the midst of, of, of this dark season in your life. <laughs> skip down. Go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and skip down a couple of... Uh, to verse 12. As the Hebrew writer likes to do, he's going to pivot a little bit here. Uh, he's going to say, since these things are true, since now you know all these things about discipline, you need to do some things. In fact, three things you need to do. The first one you find here in verse 12 is, is stand up. Hebrews 11, 12, or 12, 12, he says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. These first two 
terms. Uh, if you're familiar with boxing, you probably uh, already made the connection here. He says, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. You ever seen somebody that's kind of fighting out of their weight class or fighting someone that's obviously better than they are? In the first round, they've got their hands around their head, right? And their feet are moving around, they're moving around the ring. By the second round, they've taken so many hits of what's happened to their hands. They're down here now. They're not moving quite around. They're not moving around the ring quite as much. They're not moving quite as much. By the third, fourth, fifth round, what's happened? Their hands are down here now. They're just taking hit after hit after hit. That's what the Hebrew writer is saying. you got some drooping hands because you're in a fight too. You're in the ring too, right? And Satan is attacking you. And some of our hands have drooped. And some of our feet, we got weak knees, right? And he attributes this to all the external trials that are going on in their lives. All the people that have cut these Christians out of their lives, all the safety nets that are gone, all the things that they've been pers- all the ways that they've been persecuted. He says these things have have demoralized you. Does that sound familiar? I, I feel like that's exactly what we're in the middle of with with coming off the quarantine and all this kind of stuff. We're in a season now, who knows how long we'll be here, but uh, of just kind of Depression, right? Uh, if you've been following the mental health uh, statistics, depression has skyrocketed. Suicide has skyrocketed. All these things, uh, the the moral, uh, the morale of our country has just kind of plummeted. And, and I think you've seen it as well in the spiritual atmosphere, haven't you? You can't have all this emotional depression without having some spiritual depression as well. And two things there, right? So he's, he's talking to a culture and a people who are going through exactly what you're going through with this, this depression, this, this morale that, that's uh, really down. And, and to them, it's because they've been persecuted, right? He says, you, you're kind of dropping your hands. You're just taking hit after hit after hit, and you're not moving around. You know, you, 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 you're, you're being pummeled by Satan. The second part, when he, when he says um, in verse 13, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame. He says some of us have lame feet. That's not what he's talking about earlier. He's, he's not talking about the external trials anymore uh, with the drooping hands and the weak knees. He's talking about external trials, I think, the things that they're, they're being persecuted by and the depression and the morale that's, that's kind of taken a dive because of those things. Now, with these lame feet, he's talking about spiritual lethargy. Some of us are spiritually tired, kind of apathetic, right? He says, your faith has taken a hit because of the external trials, because of the physical stuff, your faith has taken a hit. Does that sound familiar? I think it does, right? So this letter has something for us here. So what he says to us is we need to rededicate ourselves to a pursuit of holiness. If you'll do that, if you'll be re- rededicate yourself to, to holiness, you will be healed. If not, your salvation will be lost. He's very black and white. God is very black and white. You either stick close to him and you're sold out completely to him to 100% faithful. Or you're not. There's no, there's no thin line with him. It's 
this or that. It's salvation or, or apostasy, salvation or, or, or condemnation. There's, there's, no, there's no middle ground that's possible. And so as he's talking to these people whose hands have dropped down, their knees are, are shaking and their, their, their faith is struggling, they've got lame feet. He says, you need to rededicate yourselves. We need to rededicate ourselves because in the midst of a dark time in our country, as well as a dark time in your own personal lives for some of us, faith sometimes takes a hit. We need to rededicate ourselves to holiness. Second thing he's going to talk about is you strive for peace and holiness. Look here in verse 14. He says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. A young student came up to Socrates, the great philosopher, uh, Greek philosopher, and he said, uh, I want to become your student. I want to learn wisdom. Socrates says, okay, follow me. And he takes him out to the ocean. He walks ankle deep out, and the student follows him. He walks way steep, the student follows him. He finally gets up to his shoulders, and there's the student right behind him. Socrates turns, he grabs his shoulders, and he plunges him down into the water. And the student struggles a little bit first, and he struggles a lot. Can't breathe underwater, right? And so he's struggling a lot. And right before he blacks out, Socrates pulls him up out of the water. And the student says, why did you do that? Are you crazy? And Socrates says, when you want wisdom, like you wanted that next breath, then you'll find it. When you want holiness, when you want peace, like you want that next breath, you'll find it. That's what it means to strive, to seek after, to long for, to pursue like a next breath for a drowning man. Peace is not something that comes naturally to us. Looking after our own interests is what comes naturally to us. And so we have to learn to put other people first. And if we don't pursue peace we're never going to find it because of that. It's, it's just not something you, you stumble upon. It's, it's something that you have to fight for, and it's a fight with yourself. The Hebrews were going to find themselves in conflict with those around them, and they could never forsake the gospel to appease people. We can never forsake the gospel to have peace. But they didn't have to pick every fight that they saw either. Romans 12, verse 18 Paul talks about living in peace with everyone, at least as far as it depends on you. He says you can't control other people, uh, and there are going to be those people who just want to make life difficult for those around them, but don't go looking for a fight. You pursue peace like a drowning man wants his next breath. We're also told to pursue holiness. Uh, One of the things that comes uh, out of a Christian suffering is holiness. It'd be like running a race and not getting your first place medal, just walking away and not, not getting the medal for it. Westcott defines holiness as the preparation for the presence of God. The preparation for the presence of God. Often we try to stay away from hard times. It's something we shy away from. There's nothing wrong with that, but when we're in the middle of them, there's something we can learn there that we might not have an opportunity to learn at any other time in our lives. These hard times teach us things. The sharing in God's holiness equals eternal life. You won't see the Lord 
without holiness. That's what he says here in Hebrews 12. We'll last a little bit. In verse 15, he comes down to us. Verse 15, he says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many have become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. You have a responsibility. We talked about that a little bit over the last several weeks. You have a responsibility to the church. Here he looks at the Hebrew Christians and he says, See to it that no one falls to, fails to obtain the grace of God. To a whole congregation, he says, Look amongst yourselves, and it's your responsibility to make sure that no one falls. You ever been in a race and look behind and see somebody falling? Right? We've seen those, those illustrations. He says, as the church, you walk back and, and you pick them up because they're helping you. Because we're all in this together. You have a responsibility to this congregation to look around and make sure that we're all going to be able to obtain God's grace. A big way... A uh, big hurdle that we have to jump over is bitterness. So what causes bitterness? You ever been bitter? What causes bitterness? Unmet expectations, I think, cause bitterness. Think about it. You're, you're expecting the child tax credit for you guys that are parents. You're expecting that to come back in your tax refund in a few weeks, right? What happens if you don't get it? Oh, bitterness. Unmet expectations. Um... Your friend doesn't hold up their end of the friendship. What do you feel? Bitterness. Your spouse won't contribute to your relationship. What do you feel? Bitterness. Because we have expectations for these relationships, and when people don't meet them, we have bitterness, unmet expectations. So as a member of this congregation, you're constantly on the lookout for a member whose expectations haven't been met because we don't want them to fall into bitterness, right? And we can help if, they're, if they have. We're also looking for people who are focused on this world like Esau was. Go back and look at your text. Hebrews chapter 12, verse, uh, verse 16. He says that no, one, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like who? Like Esau. Go back and find in your Old Testament where Esau was condemned of sexual immorality. There's not a place where he was condemned of fornication or adultery or anything. He married outside the clan of Israel and there's some condemnation there, but that's not, I think, what, what the Hebrew writer is referring to here. What, what's he talking about? It's interesting that he ties these two thoughts together, this sexual immorality as well as this, this meal that Esau sold his birthright for. These two thoughts are, are tied together. And so what's, what's he trying to get us to see here? It's not sexual immorality so much as it is idolatry, right? It's the unholiness of idolatry. And... Esau isn't worshiping the gods of Canaan, right? He hasn't fashioned up an idol for himself out of wood or stone or anything else. Who is his God? His God is himself. And or the things of this world. In class we talked about being so connected, holding on so tight to the things of this world. And what happens when you hold on so tight to these things? They just disappear anyhow. It's like holding sand in your hand. You can't, can't do it. It won't, it won't stay, will it? 
We can't hold on to the things of this world. We can't be focused on the things of this world and still pursue holiness and still pursue righteousness. It just doesn't work. Because you've got another God. The things that are in this world are what you're worshiping, not Yahweh. He points out Esau here as, as an illustration of what that looks like. He made a really ridiculously bad decision for something that was connected to this world. And we look back at his text here. He comes back in from hunting, uh, and he's just famished, and Jacob's cooking. And he says, give me some of that stew, or I'm going to die. And we're like, okay, Esau, <laughs> calm down. It's going to be a little drama, dramatic there. Uh, we look at that, and we kind of laugh, but if you stop and think about it, we, we do a lot of the same things, don't we? Esau's just very connected to this place, to this world. We're awfully connected to, aren't we? On occasion, we can become very connected uh, to the things of this place. And he says that's not healthy. It's not a good thing. And in fact, it's the church's responsibility to look around and make sure that, A, no one is struggling with bitterness, unmet expectations, but also no one's struggling with being connected to this world because that's not how we get to the next. It's not how we get to the next world. What you do here affects eternity. If you're connected to this place, you're not going to be happy with where you end up in eternity. There's condemnation for that because that's idolatry. And so we look around and we try to help each other. We try to hold each other up because that's the church's responsibility to take care of one another. Back in Genesis, God looks at uh, Cain and he's asking where Abel is. You remember the story, of course. What has just transpired is Cain has murdered Abel, his brother. And God says, where's, where's, where's Abel at? And Cain says, do you remember the way he phrases it? Am I my brother's keeper? What's the answer to that question? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. Right? You have a responsibility to the church to help keep each other away from bitterness and away from idolatry. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. We need a t-shirt. I'm my brother's keeper, right? We can never forget the responsibility that we have. In fact, the Hebrew writer says it's not a, uh, it's not a, a question. It's not a, you need to, uh, it's not a, uh, he doesn't let you off the hook here. In verse 14 he says, see to it, do it. Make sure, if you miss everything else, make sure you do this. You have a responsibility. Carry it through. Right? Because we're in this together. You're not going to get to heaven on your own. And I'm not going to get to heaven on my own. And we need each other. We need these relationships. Right? So today, if you're struggling, the Hebrew writer knows exactly what you're going through. But more importantly, Yahweh, God, knows what you're going through. And He has set some things in place to help you get through that difficult time. One of those things is the church, right? That we can hold each other up, that we can keep each other accountable, but also that we can build each other up and encourage one another, live life with each other. That's who we are. It's in our DNA. Today, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, that's the very first step to getting inside of that body, but it's also the way that we're reconciled back to Him so that we can have all the promises 
that the Hebrew writer and God have promised us in this book. Maybe you've already made that decision and you're struggling and that makes sense and that's normal. And the only way to help that is to make the church aware of those struggles so we can pray with you and for you, so we can help you, encourage you, build you up and hold you accountable. If you have any this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Jesus promised to reward his friends, whether it be new or high. Faithful to him, we'll be fine, but watching with God and Good morning. It's been a week and a few days for me and my family. Uh, what I want to do, though, is just express how much love that we have for our church family. For 13 years, you all, and a little bit more, stood beside me and Kristen and our children and uh, helped us through this. We received so many cards, so many well wishes, texts, phone calls, food. Uh, as you can see, I've I'm, I'm been well fed for over 13 years for sure. But from the deepest part of my heart, we know that God is in control and that God will help us through. But I'm so grateful and thankful for the church family that we have here at Rome that has helped supported us. Uh, for these past 13 and a half years. Without your all's help, it would have been even more difficult than what it currently is. So that, I want to let you all know how much I appreciate it. Um, I have a, some thank you cards I've sent out in the mail. I've got some I want to personally hand out. 
please, 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 for, please forgive me if I have overlooked that we've received so, so many gifts and so much uh, love that I may have overlooked somebody, but it's not intentional. Everything that we've received has been uh, much appreciated. But once again, I just want to thank each and every one of you for all the prayers, and I ask that you continue to keep uh, my family in your prayers as we uh, uh, adjust with uh, uh, our lives from this point forward. Thank you so much. Good morning, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. Um, uh, great week last week, uh, Stepping Stones. We had Stepping Stones dinner, and um, about 40 people showed up. Uh, so that was great to see. Uh, I think Jeremy said he's going to smoke turkey for next Stepping Stones. All right, two turkeys. One, one smoked and one's not. So I do encourage you to come to the next Stepping Stones next month. Uh, we also had the egg hunt yesterday. Uh, we had uh, about 80 uh, people here for the egg hunt. It was a lot of fun. Um, Trinity won the peep eating contest. Um, uh, Liam probably had the best face, game face, um, during the, uh, the peep eating contest, but it was a lot of fun. I want to thank all the teenagers uh, for hiding the eggs, um, for dressing up in the costume, um, and, and playing with the kids, but uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, also, um, we also helped three families this week with food. Uh, so it's been uh, a great week uh, for, for the church. Um, if you have a child who's interested in preschool, um, We Shine is now taking applications. Please see Connie Miller if you have a child that's interested in, in attending uh, the We Shine preschool. This is for three years old to four years old. Um, also, we're still needing volunteers to help cut grass during the summertime. If you can help out, there's a sign-up sheet on the four-year board. Uh, please sign your name on there. If you have any questions, please see Greg Sullivan. Um, also, uh, today, uh, we'll have a high school and middle school devotional at my house after services. And also, we have a guest speaker tonight. Uh, Mark Eights will be our guest speaker for our services tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, Chris will be at Cerrito speaking there, so keep him in your prayers as he travels to Cerrito. Uh, remember, continue to keep Jim Haney in your prayers. He has a uh, test on Thursday, um, uh, so keep him in your prayers that the tests come out all right. Also, remember, continue to keep Darren Baker in your prayers as well. Uh, also, remember, continue to keep uh, Terry Haynes in your prayers. Uh, they, he's asked for prayers as well. And Tony Blake has had heart issues, uh, so keep him in your prayers at this time as well. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. Looking forward to seeing everybody again at 6 o'clock this evening. Uh, we'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 746, first two verses. <clears throat> and after that, Brother Andy Pittman will, will have a prayer. <clears throat> Oh, how sweet will be to meet the Lord, and I, what a song of praise will be our Lord, when he comes in glory by and by, how sweet.
pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the cloud of witnesses that surround us here at this congregation, the, the support and the encouragement that we receive in our times of struggle. Father, we pray that we can be that not only to each other when we see others struggling, but also to the world. Father, let us be the light that shows your love to them. Lord, be with as we, as we disperse from here that we may take, the, take your words to our hearts and show it to the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, I just